This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Now, at Audible, you can get your free audiobook just by signing up to the Gold Membership Plan, and then you'll get a free book. And if you cancel that plan, then your book is free to keep forever. That's at Audible.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I hope by now you are relaxed. If not, you're taking the right steps. So make sure you get all comfortable wherever you are. If you're lying in bed right now and you're just taking that moment to just make sure that your body is in the perfect position. Or if you're driving along in the car, just, you know, do the same thing. If you're in a train, well, I'm kind of jealous because I love traveling on trains. The view is the best. Wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, welcome. And for the next half an hour, 40 minutes, however long this goes for, it's going to be just time for yourself to relax. In your comfy place. I tell you. I have some pretty cool. Everything is awesome stories today. And it's one thing that I'd love to do is. You know just just find a couple of cool little stories around the world to remind us that this actually is an awesome place to live. It really is. I often you know talk about this with my friends and stuff like that, saying that the news usually doesn't gravitate towards the everyday little awesome things that happen. It'd be really nice every now and then if Breaking news was two people got along perfectly fine. But I did find some really cool little stories today just to start things rolling and remind us that this is actually a really cool place that we live. This little place called Earth. The first one starts with a woman being arrested. I know, right? It seems as though that wouldn't really be a great story, but it was. Anne, 104 years of age, was arrested for being an upstanding citizen. Now get this. She's 104 years of age. So instantly, she's everyone's nana. Right? I just have this thing when I get to that age. Everyone's nana. It's just just lovely. And so Anne, broken brow, said that she had never done anything wrong in her life. I wonder if she touched her nose during that moment or just, you know, gave a wink. Anything wrong in her life, but wanted to find out what it was like to be arrested. So one day the police officers came to her home, put her in handcuffs and then 
well, we'll put her in the police car with all the sirens and everything like that and the blue lights flashing. And to quote the British lady, she said, oh, it was all very exciting. So later she was indicted on, you know, a bunch of charges. Just kidding. But she was arrested and she wanted to find out what it was like and she was able to experience that. I do not want to find out what it's like to be arrested, uh, unless, of course, I make it to 104 and then, well, you know, bring it on. But yeah, she was. She was she was arrested and she enjoyed the entire moment of being arrested. And now she can, you know, tick that one off and move on to her next challenge in life. 104, that is a lovely age. Imagine the things she's seen, right? And we're not just talking the transition of, you know, the classic monumental transition in our society, which is from going from video cassette to DVD to Blu-ray to streaming. I mean, imagine a world where at one stage you had to watch whatever was on the television and then... Bang, it was there, you could record it, and you could choose either VHS or Beta. I'm sorry to the people that chose Beta. And then that marched on, and one day you came home with a disc, and it's like, this is a DVD. Oh my god. The quality. And then, of course, it goes from that, and then Blu-ray, which once again you come home and go, oh my god, the quality. And then... The whole concept of driving over to, you know, a, a video store. You ever done that thing, right, where you went to the video store and you're like, I'm going to watch this. Insert movie here. Possibly Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, watch it. There's this uh, little uh, method. Patrick Rothfuss, the author of... Uh, the Name of the Wind and A Wise Man's Fear. And if you haven't read those books, please go and read them. They're amazing. Anyway, he gave an interview with uh, Leah Laporte. And he had this theory about turning ordinary movies, ones you wouldn't normally like, into something which you could enjoy. And his theory was this. Drink alcohol. Now, officially, I'm not supporting the drinking of alcohol. Um... Although I think it's great as well, but his idea was this, that you could take a movie and if you consume one or two, three scotches, etc., then the part of the brain that sits there and goes, this is stupid. For instance, Transformers. Let's, let's talk about Transformers for a second. Oh my God, that is so stupid. It's terrible. A car... It's called Bumblebee, but is never actually a bee. It's always a car. Then it's a, a human for some reason. What? And you consume the the, you know, the alcohol. And after a while, that part of the brain switches off. And then you start to think, actually, that's pretty cool. Bumblebee. Yellow car. Yeah, I, I get it. I enjoy it. That's fantastic. So anyway, that was his theory, and and I'm in full support of that, and I think there should be you know, a rating system on Rotten Tomatoes which should have how many alcoholic beverages, standard drinks you need to consume in order to enjoy this. 
any Michael Bay film would be a four drink plus, I'm sure. So yeah, so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'd have a couple. I'd have a couple of drinks just to smooth it in. There's going to be some of those early special effects that you just need to gloss over. But the movie is fantastic. And yeah, so so there's that one. But those are the kind of movies you'd go and see, right? And you'd go to the store and you'd choose, I'm going to watch this movie. But then as it turns out, well, it's not there. And you find yourself going down to the the other section more and more and more. And then one day streaming came along and, well, it, it ended that, didn't it? it just, it's out there. So that was that monumental shift in history. And she's been alive for that. She absolutely and utterly has been alive for that. So that's great. The second story I've got is a little bit kind of tied to the first one, which is this. It looks like there's going to be a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure number three. I'm I'm not kidding. So if you've seen the first one and the second one, you're like, oh my God. Uh, Yeah, you're right to be like, oh my God, because it's amazing. Alex Winter who plays the uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire in the Bill and Ted movie, says that the long-rumoured third film is in pre-production and is eyeing for a 2019 shoot. So the Bill and Ted 3 screenwriter, Ed Solomon, who's been working on the project for almost 10 years now, apparently um, Deadpool took about 10 years to make too, alongside with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, recently revealed that they have Dean uh, Parasot from Galaxy Quest lined up to be the film's director. The movie is centred around uh, a middle-aged Bill and Ted going back in time to encounter the younger selves in footage from the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure movie. And includes the legendary... George Cullen, who plays Rufus in the two existing films. So yeah, they attribute that to the fan response. There's been this massive upswing of the fan response to say this movie needs to happen. I'm part of that, absolutely and utterly. And it's also that really awesome thing where you see the positive impact of people coming together in an online space on the internet to make something happen. I love it. I love the movies. They were a lot of fun. And I can't wait for the third one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Will I try that multi sort of scotch or drink thing? You know what? I'm going to give it a shot uh, for science and see if that works. If it works properly or, or not. Now, I bet you love donuts. I love donuts. I wish they were healthy, but I still love them. I call them gym motivation uh, sort of food. You take them, you feel guilty, you go to the gym, and it's a net benefit because you're actually going to the gym and you're working out. But yeah, I love donuts. And sorry if it's right now you're laying in bed and I've just mentioned donuts and you're sitting there thinking, thanks, Andrew, I now really want a donut. Sorry. Um, Maybe tomorrow? Uber Eats, perhaps. Anyway, there was this uh, story about donuts, which is great. 
one tweet in Missouri, Texas, that changed the course of Billy Buy's dad's donut shop on Sunday and Monday. By sharing some pictures on Twitter of his dad in an empty shop, in an empty parking lot, and tweeted generally more than uh, the tweet generated more than 254,000 likes and 147,000 retweets. Some responded to the message calling on others to come and visit the store. When KPRC2 swung by on Sunday morning, the store was slammed with customers buying sweets, sodas and other items. They then posted on Twitter, in all capitals, we are sold out today. They're completely and utterly sold out. So if you're in, in, in the Missouri city in Texas, then, then yeah, pop on by. And if you want the details, I'm pretty sure Google will help you there. But yeah, I love donuts. I really, really do. Um, and it's just a really cool thing where it's another situation. You find someone, humble little tweet, and then all these awesome people come together over the love of donuts. But, you know, helping helping this guy out. And I hope they stick around and they come back and they have the donuts and then they get that thing that I always do, which is, oh my God, I've had donuts, so now I need to go to the gym. And the circle of life, to quote Lion King, happens again and again and again. But yeah, it's a really cool story. And again, I just wanted to remind you and myself that this world is actually full of really awesome people doing really awesome things every single day. And this lovely blue planet we've got, which is kind of green in spots and brown in other spots, and then some spots that are white, you know, when it's cold, is pretty awesome. Okay, but on to today's story. Episode number eight, Wild Horses. In a town like Baruga, where I was a teenager, I often found myself and my friends wanting to, quote-unquote, get away from it all. It was that time where we kind of had jobs, but not really any responsibility. It was one of those things. At the time, I was stacking shelves, you know, just putting stuff on shelves at the local supermarket uh, called Tucker Bag. I don't think they exist anymore. They were bought out. But at the time, that's what I was doing for, you know, 11 bucks an hour. But yeah, we, we often, especially during this time of year, which is that transition from summer to winter, which is autumn, which is beautiful, by the way. If you ever wanted to travel to Victoria, Australia, and you wanted to experience just blissful weather, come now. The months of March, April, and May Everything just relaxes. It's mid-20s Celsius. I, don't, I think it's 70s Fahrenheit. And it's just, it's just lovely. You can walk around and you can play and do stuff and, you know, not be freezing and not be burnt by the sun. It's lovely. Anyway, that time of year, we love to go camping. And in a town which only has about a thousand people, you know, we want to get away from there. We want to go to a place that's 
really, really far away. Australia has a lot of places that are far away. The country is massive and there's about 20 million people and there's a couple of spots of cities all over the place, but predominantly, it's full of nothing. The one place we wanted to go, though, was a town called Bright. And just next to it, there's another town called Porpunka, which we would laugh and say is home to the world's largest roundabout. And if you have a moment, just, just Google it on, on Google Maps, Porpunka, you'll see the roundabout. It's massive. I think you can play a cricket game on that roundabout. So anyway, we decided that we wanted to go camping, get away from it all, just pack up and leave. Throw some things in, in an esky and, and, and just go. This was before I learnt to cook, mind you. Um, my idea of cooking was ordering pizza or relying on my dad. I think I was about yeah, 16, 17, around that, that years of age. Anyway, so we decided to get away, go to Bright. One of my friends, Reg, his partner, there was a Bobby was her name. And we decided to get away and go, go, go. We left Baruga and we drove towards Bright. It's about two hours. Yeah, two and a half hours from there. It's just a long drive of countryside. Got that classic Australiana scene with the gum trees just next to the road. Rolling fields in as far as the eye can see of, you know, of wheat. The hay bundled in the big rolls and you've got the occasional paddock full of cows and, you know, and sheep and stuff like that. And most of this country is, is just completely, you know, and utterly flat. But there's this thing called the Great Dividing Range where hills start to appear. So after a while, you've got those browns and yellows and green paddocks and they're replaced with these rolling hills that start to appear. And that's when the, the thick forests of, you know, the ghost gums, the gum trees start to start to bunch together and we sort of drove on through and you know, up into the mountains. The air there is something to behold. It really, really is. It's clean. It's, it's, it's got that smell of eucalypt, the hint in the air. We kept driving and driving and driving and then we eventually reached the town of, of Bright. And then the, the town next to it, which is uh, Porpunka. That wasn't our final journey, though. That wasn't the final destination. We were going to go inside of this place called the Buckland Valley. Now, we were rumoured and it was told once that inside this place, which was about 40 minutes drive on a quote-unquote four-wheel drive track, which is like a big dirt track that, you know, you go around. That inside of that forest, to this day, were wild horses. And at night, you could hear them run. And if you were lucky, really, really lucky, you would see them. 
And that was, that was told to us. So every single time we would go there, we would not know whether it was true or whether it wasn't. We wanted to believe. Could you imagine that? Just, you know, the classic romantic image of in the moonlight, you've got these lovely trees and it's all dark and there's a billion stars in the sky because up there it's elevated anyway. There's no pollution. There is no lights. And all you can see is that. And then you see movement. And then this, you know, horse after horse after horse just goes on through. And why not? Because this is a romantic scene. Of course, one would stop and do the big rise up in the neigh. And it'd possibly be one of the most romantic, amazing scenes of my life. I don't know why romantic. Let's go with romantic. So we drove in along this Buckland Valley, further and further and further in. It's a beautiful and, and safe place. There's camping spots all, all along the way. And we like to go during, you know, the time when no one else is there. And we set up and we have our tents and off we go. Camping. If you've never been camping, it's one of those really beautiful things that I do recommend everyone should do. I'll do an episode one day about the tips of camping, but let me just say this, that it's one of those times where when you travel there, the rule that we have is you do whatever you want, whenever you want. You're hungry, eat. You're tired, sleep, whatever. It's one of those times where you can just kick back and relax under a tree. At night, there's a you know, nice fire. You talk with friends, you have a drink, you eat, and you often find that you're doing a lot of movement, right? Because you're out and about in the wilderness, and a lot of stuff needs to get done, but that's kind of cool in its own way. You get that nice bit of satisfaction of, you know, surviving, which is a bit of a stretch, because let's be honest, it's not as if you've just been helicopter dropped in with nothing but you still get that sense and it's a lot of fun and it really makes you feel well I feel you know reconnected the sun comes up you get up in the morning that cup of coffee in the morning is fantastic let me tell you and then through the day you decide what you want to do now we camp by this lovely mountain stream it's beautiful the water is, is extremely cold, so even swimming in summer is, is a bit of a stretch. But the water's so clean, you can literally take a glass down to the creek, put it in there, and drink it. So, we camp by there, we relax. And we eat. I find myself... Um, when I pack the food, you know, that I need to go. Again, you know, at the start I mentioned that I'm not the best cook. I can fry a sausage at this point in time. I could do a hamburger. In a pinch, I could take an egg. I could crack it and I could cook it. But I think by the time you receive it, it's going to be more leather than, than egg. Certainly tough. 
So what we would do to to make this you know, a meal, something which I can actually you know know that's going to work, is it'll be a lot of tin food and a lot of uh, you know those noodles that you get and you pour them into the uh, the water and then you sit that. So I could boil water. That that I could do. That was easy. You can't mess that up. The worst thing you you're going to get is either one water that's still cold, and you know that if the fire's not going, well then get the fire going. Or two, you're going to end up with a pot with no more water in it. So there's a lot of tolerance in between to, you know, have boiling water. You pour the boiling water into the uh, the pot or the little cup styrofoam thing that you get. Leave it for a while and bingo bango, you've got yourself a meal. And that's perfectly fine on the first day. It's even, it's even great on the second day. It's okay on the third day. But on the fourth day, I have to admit, I'm really, really getting sick of this packet food soy-min stuff. The beef flavor, quote-unquote, is really starting to not taste as much like beef and more like a series of chemicals. So on the third day, we were completely and utterly alone. Until this car turns up and it's this, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, they, they get out of the car and they come over and they say, look, do you mind if we sort of camp on your camping spot? Over there, it's not too far. It's about, you know, 20 metres, 25 metres away. We're going to be, you know, hiking through the daytime anyway and all that jazz, so do you mind? We turn and say, no, it's fine. Go ahead. And as they're setting up their camping equipment, we find out that they are the complete and utter polar opposite of us. Let me draw you some examples. Sitting around the campfire, we would find a log, drag the log, and sit on said log. They had the reclining fantastic chairs that you 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 bring and they have the cup holders and all that kind of stuff. For the tent, for instance, we would have possibly the oldest, uh, cheapest tent you you can get which was fine until it rained and there was leaks. They brought, and they were waxing down, their massive canvas canopy tent that I'm pretty sure you could also have a circus on the inside. It was so large. There were rooms. There was a slight corridor between the rooms. It was extremely impressive, and as we sat around the fire on our logs, we did that thing of silently looking at them and then silently looking at each other in that joint sort of we're not saying it, but we're all saying it, of like, that. that's extremely impressive. For wood, we would, we had an axe, but we'd also just go and find branches and break them and throw them on. They brought a chainsaw, to which they would cut wood up into nice, lovely pieces. Stack them really, really nice. 
and they would sit on the fire extremely well. And it went on and on and on, and it seemed like there was a complete polar opposite of of our camping styles. Now, some people love the whole rugged thing, and I can completely, I can completely understand that. However, on day four of this, the allure of being rugged was starting to wear off. We would love to have a chair to sit in, for instance, and not some hard bit of wood. And so, yeah, we look at those new neighbours and think, well, that's fantastic. For one thing, our fire and wood problem was completely and utterly solved. We had this lovely stack of triangular wood just ready to go on the fire for the entire time. Now let's talk about the food. Again, we would have our, you know, suhimin or noodles with beef, quote-unquote, flavour. The first night, they start making a pot roast or a pot lamb roast with onions and yeah, little pieces of, 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 of carrot and, and pumpkin all inside of the pot roast. If you've never had a campfire roast, it's it's something to behold. I don't know what happens inside of the magic campfire oven, but something magical happens. Possibly the smoke. I don't know, but it tastes amazing. So they, they, they're preparing this on their lavish, long table. And we see this and... and you know, they put the spices in and the salt and the pepper and stuff. And we're sort of talking, but not really talking. You know, they've got their space and, and we've got ours. And we make ourselves a, you know, dinner, which I'm completely and utterly over at this point in time. And while sitting there, you know, chowing down, the guy goes over. Let, let's call him Greg. He comes over and Greg checks the pot and he opens the pot to see how it's progressing because it's been there for a couple of hours now. So he's just checking to see how it is. And all of us at the exact same time involuntarily just give this collective sigh. Just, oh, that looks good. He turns to us in, in, in complete honesty and says, do you want some? There's too much here for us. And without any sort of modesty or, you know, propriety or, no, it's fine, no. We all just quickly turned and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we would love, love some. We waited about another half an hour for it to, you know, to cook properly. It was pulled out. It was left to rest, you know, in about 10 minutes, which is, which is key. I now know this, by the way, but back then I didn't have a clue. I could barely pour water into a cup. And then we, you know, these, these, these lovely plates. And I made myself with fresh bread, the kind of one where you get with the loaf where you cut it yourself in the thickness that you want and you just give it that extra bit of thickness. Oh, I love that. And again, sorry if I've just made you, you know, want to have freshly cut bread. Again, possibly there's an Uber Eats for that. I'm, I'm not too sure. 
but you made that and I put the, the lamb in between with these big thick bits of cheese and a couple of slices of the potatoes and stuff like that and I made myself the ultimate manwich. And you know what? To this day, to this day, I can remember the taste of that. It was possibly the greatest, greatest meal I've ever had in my life. I've had plenty of good meals, but you go about five days of eating something that gets really old after the first day, and then you have something like this. It is remarkable. Oh, oh yeah, it was so good. So I ate that down, and that night... I went back to my tent and it wasn't raining, so I curled in, reinflated my half deflated blow up lilo mattress thingy that would usually only last one night, and I would have to reflate it every, every morning. And I laid down and I had such a lovely, full stomached grin on my face. And it was then I heard something in the forest. I heard movement. I heard the sounds of animals. Now, you, you hear a few things, frogs and stuff like that, and the odd kangaroo. But this wasn't a kangaroo. This was either a cow, which I don't think there was any in the, in the forest at that time. And it was certainly too quick. You can sort of understand or hear the gait of a cow, which, which we would. This was too, too quick. This was too brisk. This was too nimble. And I lay there, an excitement building. And in my mind, the entire time as I hear these noises and the odd crack through the forest of, you know, a twig, and certainly the crunch of the leaves, and the odd occasional little snap of the of the ground, and slowly I'd hear more and more and more, and I thought to myself, "This must be the horses. This must be." Wild horses. And I lay longer. I'm dead still. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, the sound just goes deathly still. Absolutely and utterly deathly still. And about... Four minutes pass. A couple more cracks. And then this almighty just movement happens. Running, running, running. It was hoofbeats. I, 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 it was hoofbeats. And it sounded like there was a lot, a lot. And they ran past. We heard it in the distance. Next thing I hear is the other you know, tents zipping up and we're popping out and we're 
trying to see in the dark, but there wasn't really a moon that night. And it's one of those things, right, that to this day I heard what I heard, but I didn't see anything. But I reckon it was. Yeah, I reckon it was. Went back to sleep that night. Woke up in the morning, cup of coffee, magnifique. And we tried to go and find, you know, in the, the, detec- the detective style that we are. We tried to figure out where, you know, the sound was that came from. We wanted to go and investigate and see if we can find any hoof, you know, prints. Proof. I don't know who we were going to tell from the proof, but that's something we wanted to do. Sadly, we couldn't find anything. Nothing. Not a single thing. So we returned back to the campfire. We sat around and put some of those lovely pristine cut logs on on the fireplace and just talked about it for a while, all assuring ourselves that, yeah, what we saw is exactly what we saw. That day, we decided to go for a walk. And and it's something you'd... Well, why not, right? You're camping. And to understand where we are, it's like a valley. You know, he sort of looks up, you've got the, the high range mountainsides either side, and then of course the, the stars and stuff at night time, but the blue sky in the middle of the day. And we walked along and along and along, and the strangest thing happened. We walked about, you know, about an hour. And the tight valley sort of opened up. And what we saw was what looked like an old sort of station, derelict for sure, but it's an old station there. Fences were still intact, but we walked inside and we saw there, there was actually some well, old apple trees. And this is almost bordering on cliche, but we were sitting under the apple tree and in fact, there were cows there. Livestock cows, typical ones, ear tags, the works. And they came over all curious, giving you that certain, you know, cowish, hey, how you doing? What's up? Just checking you out. It's all cool. And so I take one of those apples and grab them from the tree and just throw them down. And the, you know, the cow gives it a sniff, starts eating it, and then realizes that this is possibly the greatest thing it's ever tasted as well and starts gobbling it down big time. I think cows can tell between other cows as to whether they're onto a good thing or not because then a lot of other cows sort of came over with that respectful distance that cows have, you know, run, 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 stop, stand there and look. And so then one by one I was just grabbing some of those apples from the tree and you know, throwing them to the cows and they were eating them and that was a lovely little mystic spiritual connection that I had with a bunch of livestock. We went back to the campsite. Had dinner that night. Again, another roast. It was fantastic. 
Sadly enough, we didn't hear anything that night, but we had good times, good music, lots of laughs. And then the next morning we had to pack up and we had to head back, back home. We shook hands with our, you know, our acquaintances. And drove back along the Buckland Valley. To the sound of the song No Rain by Blind Melon playing on the Tarago vehicle. And then the long drive away from the hills and eventually you see the the farmlands return. And then before too long we were home, cleaning ourselves, unpacking everything and that was the camping trip. I've been tempted, you know, to go back to that exact spot and one day I'm going to take all my friends and we're going to go back. I can tell you now I will not be taking, oh, I might take one for old time's sake, one of those cans of those beef swim in, but I'll be taking lots and lots of food this time. I've always wanted to try Korean barbecue in a camping style. So maybe I'll just give that a shot. So that was the story. And I hope by now that you are relaxed I hope by now, in fact, if you're in bed, you're asleep and you didn't even hear most of this story. Because you've got hours and hours and hours to spend in your comfy place. So until next time, good night, sweet dreams, take care. Bye-bye.